0: A word of warning. This podcast may contain themes that some listeners might find distressing. Not always, but sometimes. However, this podcast will definitely contain strong language. Therefore, if neither of these things sound appealing, it's probably not the podcast for you then, is it? Welcome um, and especially hello and welcome to Dan Osman and Callum Stronach, both returning guests on the Narciss Ramblings podcast. How are you two?
1: Really well, thank you. Honoured to be invited back. Thank you so
0: much for
2: the <laughs> invite. Yeah, absolute privilege to be back on yet again.
0: <laughs> thank you. That's very good for my ego. I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, and so, um, before we get into kind of discussing who you two are and a bit about your background, I guess, um, some context to the, to the episode today, we're going to be touching on the, uh, topic of men, men's body image. Um, and I guess it's links to masculinity. Um, and I suppose the reason why I've uh, chosen to spoke, uh, to spoke, to speak to both of you, um, is obviously because we have a history of having chats like this together, um, and I value you know both your opinions and views on things um but i guess also the interesting fact that you're both placed within the sort of uh fitness health eating disorders sort of sector of society as it were um but then you also have your own relationship to to body image and things like that um so i thought who better placed uh than to have conversation with with the two of you so thank you very much for coming onto the show and joining me in this conversation hopefully um it will be as good as i think it will be actually i don't i know it will be so i don't even know why i said that <laughs> but thank you again pleasure man um so i guess just for 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 those who haven't you know listened to any of the previous podcasts that either um you or uh, dan have been on um do you want to just start by sort of introducing yourself callum and just say a little bit about who you are and i guess what you do um and then we'll move on to you dan if that's all right
2: Yeah, absolutely. I am a nutritionist by trade. I have a background of working in performance sport and then in 2018 set up my own, I suppose, consultancy practice, which is by virtue of that was then moved online with the whole pandemic and to this day kind of work in the area of I suppose just eating disorders, but then eating disorder being um, something from, yes, something that is clinical and clinically diagnosed to just things that are patterns around food that in many ways, and I'm sure we'll cover this, are somewhat normalized, like just basic patterns around guilt, around food, um, negative beliefs and ideas around body. And there's almost somewhat accepted. And so i have the privilege of working with members of the general population i still work in sport with a number of national governing bodies but with the remit of helping people with their relationship with food um and trying to essentially tie that into performance which is an interesting dance to to make and um yeah. And then off the back of that as well, um, I suppose part of the the elements, and I'm sure this will come up in the conversation, is I, I myself about 10, just over 10 years ago, kind of really went through my own kind of recovery process of an eating disorder myself. So feel very connected in in many ways of either working through or... Protecting myself in inverted commas from an eating disorder for huge parts of my life as well. So, this is a topic which I'm very excited to chat about with you, gents.
1: Yeah, I, I too am excited. And um, to describe myself, I, first of all, I'm, I'm my least favorite subject. I think I might, have ex- <laughs> I might have explained this before. So, I'll give the the two. Yeah. Listen, I've been, I guess i call myself a health mongrel of sorts these days because. I've been every incarnation of a health professional along the journey. I think from a relative newbie fitness instructor wiping sweat off the machines, giving gym inductions to personal training, to specialising in strength and conditioning, working with national governing bodies and athletes, to specialising in performance nutrition, and then somewhere across the way, I've I've just become more of a health coach focused on what I'd like to term more self leadership, much towards. People actually identify the fact they have agency, they have a huge power of choice in certain things and certain patterns of behaviour and thoughts and beliefs they have around themselves. And just generally these days, I do a bit of writing, I do a bit of public speaking, I do a bit of corporate wellbeing talks, but specifically I do more one-to-one coaching. And I guess not maybe a specialist as Callum talks, working with people with diagnosable eating disorders, but certainly something I can reflect on is on some level especially with much that's been normalized in the health and fitness space normalized disordered eating or the disordered patterns of behavior whether that be safety behaviors around a compulsion to exercise and frequently mm-hmm. certain control variables around life and the constructs we develop around those things and again the things that largely a lot of the fitness space has glamorized evangelized and normalized over the years but if we were to look a take a closer look at a lot of those things i think we can identify a few few of them are problematic but they've been so deeply ingrained within our culture and this is why this is such a fascinating conversation for me is so much of this is societally driven and culturally driven but it is just passable I and mean, it's just something we we'll all accept but actually something that we could all look look towards with a, a healthy level of skepticism i feel
0: Mm. okay yeah absolutely i agree and i think you know thank you very firstly both thank you very much for introducing yourselves um i guess sort of just touching on what you were saying there dan and actually this kind of links a little bit to one of the first conversations that i heard you have uh callum which actually we did mention i think we mentioned this at the start of the other podcast that you and i did together was a conversation that you had with van Hass um in terms of discussing i guess sort of like Jim culture and i guess the uh, i guess you know not necessarily to pathologize or to kind of demonize anyone that sort of is in is in that kind of culture or has that kind of mindset or lives that kind of lifestyle but i guess there was something very interesting which i had never really considered um about the potential sort of underlying reasons as to why people maybe get caught up in that kind of lifestyle and what that kind of feeds into in terms of Um, I guess maybe insecurities about self, maybe sort of thoughts about self as um, I guess maybe being less than in some way in terms of manhood. Um, And so, you know, I thought maybe if you could sort of just kind of start us off and maybe just kind of expand on that a little bit more from, and both of you as well, like, you know, what are your sort of views about that?
2: Yeah. The thing with the fitness industry as a whole is that it's a place for people to come where certain dis- disordered eating symptoms and other, not just around food, but other, what we would label as safety-seeking behaviours, such as, as discipline and, and stuff like that, they're, they're really commended there. So it, it's almost like a birthing ground for these, for these safety-seeking behaviours to just exist. And part of that is, I, I suppose I should precursor that by just saying like a behaviour in its, in its essence is neutral. But then one of the things that we want to almost explore is almost the intention behind it in in any sense. And that's part of what i don't think many of us are taught to do to bring that kind of degree of curiosity and to look at okay if we are coming about these ideas of body food etc etc or just like the strong this strong urgency to to do something around our body or fitness and our health pursuits then then why is that and it's then being able just to kind of like hold up a lens to these ideas of saying okay if, if these things didn't exist what what would happen and i think many people and i i kind of hesitate because i don't want to say everyone is this case but there's there's huge safety that can be found in control and discipline and stuff like that but actually what underlies that for for so many people myself included within this was this idea of okay okay if i achieve this particularly around more so fitness pursuits, less around body ideals. But if I achieve this, then I will be essentially enough. And by virtue of that, I will be lovable or safe or formulate sense of, of belonging. And we are beginning to have more and more of a, a conversation about this. But then there's still so much of these kind of real binary black and white kind of ways of thinking around food that actually take i would say obviously fitness and health and food is all there to add to people's lives but actually take away from people's lives and so i suppose the main main kind of point is just coming back and we exist in this like i say this this bubble where it's it's so dependent on things like external validation and and like i said these hustle kind of ideas are rewarded um and at, at times particularly working in an athletic population. There's so much say external drivers of safety coaches feedback. So I feel safe when I've got the coaches feedback or I feel safe when I'm in a space of, um, comparison to other athletes that actually it takes away from our ability, ability to find internally validate ourselves. And Mm -hmm. again, it's just asking people to just be curious with that and just to, um, Yeah, and be honest with
1: that. That, that, Sorry, Jane, yeah, carry on. I was just going to say that's such an important point. I think you you mentioned there, Callum, is that to distinguish between the motives and the intentions behind these behaviours, which lead to them potentially being imprisoning or empowering, and actually the health-seeking behaviours in themselves, because we have to tee to this fine line in which we work in this health and fitness industry. It is, as you say, to add to people's lives. But when people immerse themselves in it we have to look at actually what's what's socially valuable what's socially celebrated where does the praise and the accolade come from and it comes from I guess the most elitist aspects when the glorified possibly obviously we can't make assumptions built on someone's health status based on their appearance but possibly at the extreme end especially when we're looking at single digit body fat levels and aesthetic sport is that they're not healthy, but this is what's marketed as health. And obviously we can we can talk about, I'm sure we will, the media's role in that, but that, that that's tends to be what's at the forefront of people's mind when they associate things with health. And um, when we look at what's socially valuable, what also um, contributes to that is what I like to refer to as this web of influence in which we're in this perpetual loop in which we contribute towards everyone else's, which is our peers, it's our parents, it's, it's the media. And I think especially with regard to men, and I'm sorry to get it in there nice and early, but porn plays a huge part in that as well. And okay. you know, if you look at the lengths of which and people can change their bodies and the, the surgical procedures you can get nowadays, is we, we all have this huge weight of responsibility because we feed into others and we have these incredibly powerful devices in our hands and almost this ability to proliferate the most problematic and almost dangerous elements of you know what we deem as most important in life and with that comes you know we will probably have a discussion about self-objectification theory and something i find really intriguing about self-objectification theory which is originates around feminist research and historically i must caveat what i'm about to say historically not my opinion of course but women almost being reduced to their fertility they basically their use as objects as sexual objects and being there for men and the patriarchy. We can't really talk about image and social shifts without addressing the patriarchy and self-objectification theory, but almost to combat that, rather than highlight the problematic aspects of objectification being the issue, it's just including men in the conversation. So perhaps not in the same way, not in the same language that we use, but men are objectified as women are. So rather than us, and much the work that I imagine both Callum and I do is focus more on body functionality and these incredible things that our bodies can do it is mm. solely what does this body look like? What's mm-hmm. the social value of that? And actually all these other traits, attributes, all these other things that we should be socially rewarding, how kind someone is, how thoughtful they are, do they have a great sense of humour? All these other qualities aren't necessarily publicly celebrated as much.
0: Mm. So that's quite interesting where you talk about, um, so what's it? what was it called? what objectification Self-objectification theory Self objectification theory self objectification theory so tell me more about that so that's where you objectify yourself
1: yeah in, yeah uh, they're um, largely but that uh, more of a societal construct so women uh, young girls and women are typically brought up and thought of as pretty things for the eyes of men um <clears throat> yeah to be small to be attractive etc not really thought of as much of again historically not my thoughts i must echo that
0: Yeah, 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 of course.
1: Um, Whereas boys, men are brought up more around body functionality, what their bodies are capable of, being strong, fit, healthy. And again, Mm -hmm. around the themes we're going to discuss, I imagine, um, almost embodying what that physical protector should look like. You know, we look at every incarnation of superheroes, for example, and that takes back to you look at Michelangelo's David. He's he's a stacked, jacked guy. You look at Da Vinci's... uh, vitruvian man almost with eight limbs that that character around the circular thing again pretty jacked and every incarnation of superheroes action men movie styles whatever it may be over the years have become more and more jacked so typically much of the research around body image that did revolve around women and the thin ideal was in the first instance applied to men and mm-hmm. obviously hugely skews the data because I think one of the important things to address there is men aren't as forthcoming when it comes to body image concerns and experiencing no- negative body image because it's it's not a masculine trait, I guess, to complain about that kind of thing. But uh-huh. also, when they did enter into those studies, it's, it's not necessarily the thin ideal they're pursuing. It's more of a muscular ideal. So it's okay. only over the recent five to six years, I think, actually, the investigative studies are looking towards, like, the more extreme end of uh, like muscular focus, and I guess as opposed to the thin ideal, um, and body dysmorphic disorder, it's muscular mm-hmm. dysmorphic disorder. Okay. Amen.
0: So yeah. So so actually, both of you have said quite a lot of things that are that are really interesting. So firstly, two of the things that I picked up on is I guess this um, sense of External validation and how we, um, I guess, measure up to other people. And I guess when we're talking about men, we're talking about how men measure up to other men. Mm. And you, Callum, we're talking about how I guess maybe the Jimbo Jimbo culture and maybe gyms and those type of places draw a particular. And again, not everyone applies to this because you know gyms are can be and are very healthy areas for people. But I guess maybe those who again, maybe tie into what you've just mentioned now, Dan, about this this male aesthetic, this, you know, more Jack than Jack, this kind of like, Chris Hemsworth massively unattainable in Thor kind of body image where like he literally just looks looks like a human fucking bus. That if you ran into him, you would just disintegrate that kind of real image. Where it's it's possible that some men who embody that that is what a man looks like maybe will gravitate towards these microcosms where actually whatever's going on for them internally they're struggling with they have you know again we're not generalizing but there's there's something that's maybe lacking from themselves which they then go to these microcosms of these gyms where they then all validate each other because they're all they're all pumped and they're all sort of you know giving each other advice and they're all sort of like saying yeah you look good or i can really and again i'm massively generalizing here and this is not to stigmatize or anything like that i guess i'm just trying to get a flavor of what it is that you're talking about but i guess that that idea of, you know, the, 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 the those who are also within that space can kind of help give me my identity as this person that I'm trying to morph into, essentially, which I guess then is also linked to what you were saying, Dan, about how, um, you know, we all have, you know, more so now than ever, we have access (laughs) to all these different images of what a man should be like. And, you know, on Instagram and uh, social media and porn. Yeah. So, you know, on one instance, we we're sort of talking about the physical attributes of, of how somebody presents externally, but then in porn, there's the, you know, sexual prowess. And then obviously the, the, the typified endowment that goes with being one of those sort of, you know, extremely sexual men, which then obviously skews potentially how men see themselves when they obviously don't stack up to what a porn star looks like or has, you know, a penis as big or, you know, doesn't have the stamina with which to go for as long as they do in the porn movies. Um, Sorry, I'm rambling on and I'm just trying to tie a thread to everything that you've kind of said because it's really interesting and it's just made me think of a lot of stuff. Um, So, yeah, so there's obviously... the 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 helpful parts i guess in one sense of the external validation but then that obviously has their its downfalls because i guess it's just a self-fulfilling difficulty isn't it within the gyms and then you've got access to a wider variety of types of things that men can start to feel insecure about um not just the gym and not just the, the 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 what it looks like to be a man but then also interesting interestingly what you've said Dan about the self-objectification theory, about how you know it 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 looks one way for a women for for women and there's a particular type of um, way that is more feminine and more attractive and more sort of appealing to the male gaze as it were, but then the the yeah the 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 direction that that then sort of goes in for men which is about functionality, strength, um, how you look you know how do you, how do you then physically embody those well those man box things isn't it that mm-hmm. you were talking about Callum so you know uh, for anybody that doesn't know what the man box is i guess it's this idea that um there are rules for for how to be a man so there are ways in which um m- you know it, it is defined in order to be a man and i guess some of them are around sort of strength power ability to protect Um, all those things which apparently then if you if the bigger you are the more muscular you are the more then you are more powerful aren't you then you are more dominant then you are more able to protect as it were because who's 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 gonna fuck with somebody that's six foot four and weighs you know 250 pounds of solid muscle Mm -hmm. like that's just um so yeah so those are very interesting thoughts that i've just Blurred, no,
1: I take part responsibility because I threw lots of words out there as well. But <laughs> a really interesting point you mentioned there, which is, you know, firstly, I think within the context of body image, it's a multi dimensional thing, so mm-hmm. there's, there's so many contributing factors there. For for a start, it's, it's irrespective of objectively often how someone looks, is our like mm-hmm. thoughts and perceptions around that. So yeah. we base our reality essentially what's going on cognitively in our mind so irrespective yeah. often and this is where things get a bit skewed when it comes to body uh, image and especially those that you know or, or it goes without saying those that engage in physical activity irrespective of, again of physical changes do normally find they have more positive positive body image whether that's associated with body functionality you know and, and feeling accomplished and that oh, i can attitude and everything within there but what the, the fitness industry tends to do is is and this is a case of nature it, i don't think it's nature versus nurture i think it's working uh nature in conspiracy with nurture and there's obviously certain i guess mental traits attributes characteristics that gravitate towards that and one of the, the things that i think sorry getting round to my point that you you specifically mentioned there was identity because identity our body and how our bodies look and our perception of our bodies is a huge part of our identity. So what I didn't mention at the start, so forgive me for for totally missing that point was my own journey. And I I feel like this is echoed a lot in in the people I work with and the people I see across the years is I grew up in a much larger body where I was essentially invisible or maybe visible for all the wrong reasons. And with that came ridicule as, as cruel as kids can be and finding your way in the world and finding yourself into your own identity and who you should be i didn't really have any positive male role models growing up so when you embark in these physical changes all of a sudden comes a different identity comes an identity of again praise accolade something physically strong you can associate with and if i think back to perhaps not classic male um, man box archetypes but certainly you know embodying a certain look and being Mm -hmm. that stoic get your head down grind hustle don't complain of course you know we talk about masculinity and femininity when in truth there are are elements in both it's just often the language you use so for Mm -hmm. an assertive strong man for example is a bossy woman how we probably use in modern day terminology um so yeah, when, when I think about my own journey, it offered me identity, it gave me visibility and with visibility comes, for want of a better word, power and what we give power to and I think that is essentially what is highlighted in modern day media. What has vis- visibility has power, has influence and we look at that with influencers and those that have the largest region, often the least qualified Uh, And that is people that have a certain aesthetic because there is a certain, I don't think it is an actual term, but their beauty privilege.
0: Yeah. 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 So I think, so I think um, um, in, in sort of, well, I I don't know what the equivalent would be um, within sort of the realms of, of men and masculinity, but I certainly know that within sort of the realms of women, there's a, there's what's called pretty privilege. Um, so the idea that you know if you look a certain way then obviously certain doors open for you um because people again you ascribe or naturally um be, uh, embody a certain type of look which um for whatever reason then sort of allows you <clears throat> less struggles and strife and things like that um which I guess would be which I guess is interesting then because I suppose if if the 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 woman equivalent is pretty privileged i wonder if sort of maybe the 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 men or male equivalent is something around um i guess i don't really know how to think about it but something like big privilege so the you know jacked yeah jacked (laughs) privilege so yeah well there we go i think as as good a phrase as any so yeah there's something about jacked privilege isn't there because i guess you know um there's so many things that are in intertwined around sort of male body image that are, you know, your height Mm -hmm. is, is one thing. So I, (laughs) I'll never forget the absolute sort of um, shock and distraught um, sort of almost earth shattering uh, realization that I had when I realized I was only five foot 11 and not six foot. (laughs) Like Honestly, my whole life, my mom had told me that I was six foot. And, you know, I read all these books and, you know, watched all these films. And sort of whenever you read a description about somebody, they're like six foot or six, six one. And you're like, oh, yeah. And that's always valorized as or idealized as 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 like a masculine height. Like and so my mom always sort of said, you know, 180 centimeters, that's six foot, blah, blah, blah. And I believed myself to be six foot up until about the age of 17 when I went to the GP and he just did like a general checkup and he measured me. Well, he said, how tall are you? And I said, six foot, 180. And he went, uh, you you sure you're six foot? And I said, yeah, 180 centimeters, is six foot. And he went, oh, well, let's just double check that. And then he measured me and I was 180 and he went, you're five foot 11. Hmm. And I just went... I, and honestly, like, like I tell this story now, and it's funny that I can laugh about it. Um, but I, but it's, it's honestly stuck with me so, mm. so, for for my entire life because I envisioned myself to be one way, and then I'm off by an inch two and a half centimeters. Yeah. And that's literally nothing. Like if you if you see me standing anyway, you would you, like five foot, 11 and six foot is a, a margin in terms of how somebody presents and looks in their stature, isn't it? But it, it, it really sort of, again, so even just talking about it, I can absolutely appreciate how ridiculous it sounds. But it was just something that really as a 17 year old who um, envisioned myself to be one way. Um, and I was just like, oh, I'm not as tall. I'm not as tall as I thought I was and that means nothing at the end of the day for me as an individual and a human being it means absolutely nothing but for a 17 year old who again grew up with messages around men of a certain height or men of a certain stature embody a sense of respect or a sense of um prowess so again attractiveness to the to to to, to women or to a partner um you know heights. Is important in that respect. Being broad shouldered is important in that respect. Um, having six pack abs and a, and a big chest is important in that respect. Having big arms is important in that respect. So if you can, if you can kind of hit some of those markers, then you kind of think to yourself, "Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting this kind of prescriptive male body," and then. At any point where you fall short of that, then you're, it's so weird, then your masculinity almost feels dented in some way or less than in some way.
2: I think one of the things that um, is really fascinating in the prescription that we kind of attain ourselves to, and um, yes, it's in the book For the Love of Men, Liz Plank talks about this, about how Particularly correlating it with how it's how all of those things are such a, a symbol of essentially power, is that the most uh, most men go to the gym for other men for the attention of other men, I mean, and guys. and like and I'm not going to be like I. Not going to be kind of innocent to this either. Like I would go around the gym, and all, it's almost like all the women. We use that word invisible. The women would be invisible, and I would just walk in and just be like, "Right, where are the strong guys at? What are they doing?" And and so yeah, so much of
0: it's almost like that. It's almost like that peacocking, isn't yeah. it? It's yeah. like it you walk in and you're just dynamic. like, yeah, and is. you're just like, where where are the other where where are the other bros at? I need yeah. to I need because to I find I set myself
1: up. as alpha of the gym. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think you see you see that often um if you are aware of it like guys that will puff out their chest and have imaginary lat syndrome or surrounded around a slightly <laughs> yeah. bigger guy next to them and it, it is a, it is a totally it is a male power dynamic thing um and i think on a deeper level it is it's a status thing as well yeah. right yeah. It's, a, it's a status thing it's a hierarchy thing it's you know as i said alpha it's the chief it's the one that's most powerful because we look at the animal kingdom and it is the the larger stronger most dominant you know are the ones in charge and i think there is in our primitive brain whether you buy fully into psychological uh, evolution psychology or not there there has to i think there is it just uh, I don't know. I'd interested to get both your opinions on that. There has to be in our reptilian, primitive brain a little bit of that still lingering in there.
0: So, well, I, I think, I, I don't know. So, I there are parts of evolutionary psychology that I buy uh, absolutely because obviously we've evolved, and I, I, I can't, I can't take away from that. But I, I almost wonder sometimes if it's what we. Put stock into that helps us make sense of the way that we've evolved. So I think, you know, I think, you know, it, again, it's that sort of what you talked about that nature versus nurture type thing, you know. Mm. Do we A do we
1: fallacy almost mm.
0: exactly? So do we put stock in evolutionary psychology because it helps us make sense of the fact that there are people who are bigger there are men who are stronger there are men who are weaker and smaller and more diminutive and you know we then look at the animal kingdom where being big and strong makes sense because actually um, power and dominance and being able to physically overpower or physically beat another animal makes sense because actually they can't have conversations and they can't say actually this is my spot of the prairie or the or the bushveld or whatever so actually if you could fuck off over there and leave me to my patch that would be grand um they, they they can't do that they have to physically dominate another animal because that's how they communicate that this is my piece of property or that's my pride or that's whatever whereas actually we don't need to do that. And this is one of the things that I think a lot about in terms of violence, you know, people, men specifically who subscribe to this idea that in order to be um, a powerful man, you have to be capable of violence and you have to be, you have to have the presence or the ability to be violent. And I'm just a bit like, and they and they sort of tend to come from this more sort of evolutionary way of thinking. Um I mean, Pilking, is that? Yeah, yeah. You know? and, um, and I guess part of me is like, I can understand how that was helpful to a point and I can understand how that's evolutionary evolutionarily that was helpful to a point where we ha- where violence was the way that we needed to to do that but actually as a species and as a as a um uh uh, animal species sorry i've lost my train of thought there we have so many more faculties for managing conflicts that don't necessarily need to resort to violence um and so i'm always just like yeah so so when people talk about evolutionary psychology i'm i i, I understand it and i don't discredit it necessarily but i also think that there are i think sometimes it's too easy of a of a of a explanation of, Oh, it's just, it's just, it just makes sense evolutionarily. And I'm like, yeah, I get that. But, but also we have higher cognitive functioning. So evolutionarily, we have higher order level cognitive functioning. We're able to rationalize, we're able to reason, we're able to put ourselves in somebody else's perspective. We're able to try and see the world from somebody else's viewpoint, um, which should grant us a, a greater capacity to manage shit differently. So again so coming back to the idea about status and power and um all that kind of stuff where previously I can totally get how being a bigger larger more jacked individual was a like a message to not be fucked with and to not be messed with and to all that kind of stuff but actually <laughs> I feel like we've come we've mm-hmm. come much further along and we're probably able to communicate our needs and our you know boundaries or whatever the fuck you want to call it we're, we we can do it differently now what do you both and think, I
1: think of what would you both think then to the point within the context of that of um finding uh, a mate an appropriate mate if we're talking in a heteronormative I sense i think physical that, attributes
2: no i think that um there's like particularly in terms of like that evolutionary piece I definitely am with you there Dan and one of the the things and I'll link the the kind of the relationship piece into it is that I think that there are certain kind of rises as we know in in kind of society that have huge impacts on how we essentially raise our children like one of the things that comes up particularly in from a historical point of view is things like world war Two and the world wars that are beginning of the 1900s where we are a generation of people who are of a potentially our grandparents and our great grandparents are, are people who are in that time and so if you're in that time where you are um have so much Uncertainty, so much scarcity, particularly around food, um, and then obviously coming out of that, things like a, I mean, capitalism and, and things like that was definitely on the rise anyway. But then, particularly going beyond um, into the mid 1900s, things like a, a more uh, an even greater cap- uh, uh, capitalist society then perpetuates this idea of then how do I find belonging, wealth and all of these kind of other things that uh, and that comes essentially in this kind of like achieving um external money body the media then began to rise and uh, things like that and i think that then we are living and and kind of so much of and this is and um, this is very generically but there's so much of of the people that i speak to that you speak to their grandparents and they're like Oh, you've put on weight or you need to brush your hair a bit different. And it's very body centric. But I think that so much of that messaging began almost from that time. And then also, yeah, like you say, then bringing that background to um, then the messaging around relationships in order to be like in order to be kind of known as a man, you have to have a wife. Um, and particularly around that time and uh, what did I say one in two marriages end in divorce and 75% of the marriages that do stay together aren't really happy and, and stuff like that so I think it's now that we're we're kind of obviously we're, we're challenging that but all of those kind of I, I, like obviously I, I that's a very very generalized approach and um and i I don't necessarily be like this is the absolute statement of truth, and this is what we're we're kind of recovering recovering from as a as a as like the millennials <laughs> the as a millennial the millennials are the generation that are kind of um beginning to turn it around not at all but um <laughs> but yeah i think it's also holding it's 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 just asking these these questions of like okay well what were the messaging that my grandparents gave me around food body and um, or even just around um achieving and um i i felt acknowledged and loved if i was um, achieving and 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 obviously things like emotional availability of parents and stuff like that definitely falls into it and mm. it 's a much wider conversation than that but I think these these elements of history certainly even through the the rise of the 1980s and then the rise of diet culture as mm. into the uh, into the 1990s and beyond i think all of these little things can they just create like um almost like a petri dish for these these this kind of bacteria of unresourceful beliefs and habits and and um behaviors around food and exercise and even a way we would just formulate relationships as men too for them just to evolve in that sense
1: Mm. you you mentioned really interesting point there and just two i kind of wanted to address and get your thoughts on it is especially with regards like capitalism and the emergence of diet culture. And this, I guess, in, initially for women, especially, like mm. I, I think it's fair to say men are getting their fair dose when it comes to impossible body standards nowadays, but certainly something that women mm. have been subjected to. Like, this isn't a whataboutism. As a matter of fact, women have been subjected to this for centuries. I think the, the first corset goes back to the 16th century, you know, was referred to as the two bodies because these corsets used to... Hug women in so tight is in, in the middle that almost their, their, their organs would burst. You know, you'd hear mm-hmm. of these devastating circumstances. And the interesting thing I think with that is the, the expectations of men is, is quite linear almost, if that's, if that's the correct phrase, is that they continually get more jacked and more lean.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas I don't think evolving is the correct term, but women's standards is constantly changing. So uh-huh. when you re- refer to like capitalism and the introduction of diet culture and essentially getting paid off women's bodies initially, we look at, at the thin ideals, 90s Kate Moss, for example. Uh-huh. And that's transferred into what was a more voluptuous uh, Kim Kardashian. We look at Madonna. We look at all of these other figures that are now um, within, I guess, the larger body. Mm-hmm. categories and more equally represented but what my, my point being it's constantly changing for women there is no trajectory as such, it's just impossible standards to try and maintain whereas although impossible standards, the men's pattern tends to be a little bit more predictable and it's always been the the larger guy, the for want of a better word fat guy in movies is always the or the dad bod is the, the guy of that's ridiculed or the the comedic centre of the movie, and the one that never gets uh, the guy or girl, the one that never falls in love.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, you, you were talking. You've just mentioned movies, and and like sort of the and both of you sort of mentioned sort of um, sort of the eighties, nineties, where that's kind of maybe where the current sort of men's body image kind of stems from. And I think I'm not like, don't quote me on this, and this is not hard fact at all, but um, I think I once read somewhere that 80s action films, so we're talking Stallone era, Schwarzenegger era, Jean Claude Van Damme, all those sort of 80s and early 90s era action films, apparently they have quite a lot to answer for in terms of what we now see as the prime male physique, which embodies all those things that we've talked about sort of, you know, uh, power, dominance, attraction to women, status within your sort of rank, uh, at your, your sort of social circle, and all those kind of things. Because I think. Prior to that, or before that, sort of, I think leading men were, I think they had like run of the mill bodies, like they were. I think they were slender. Obviously, you know, there's there's always been sort of the the the, the, the fat phobic um, slant of things. There we go. <laughs> exactly. There we go. That was Adam Batman West and, Batman, Batman and, and Superman, Superman yeah. in the
1: seventies, and then the eighties. I was just thinking as you were saying it. Sorry to interrupt you. I was thinking, He Man. That was my he first mm. uh, Dale yeah. Flunderin as as He Man,
0: yeah, and he was mad. Like honestly, he's like what six five, absolute. Like he's shredded, completely shredded. And yeah, absolutely, I remember watching the um, the He Man film and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, and all your action figures were just these like ridiculously like they've got like sixteen abs and they've got shoulders. You know, they've got like the Doritos shaped um, bodies. With with the broad shoulders and the really narrow waist and all that kind of stuff, and I just think, yeah, and that sort of ties in a little bit to what you were saying, Dan, about how um, men's bodies um, follow a trajectory. I think there's I think there's different iterations of it. So I think there's slightly slimmer men, like you know, I'm thinking maybe sort of like Harry Styles, where he's not necessarily massively jacked and bolt, but there's still a like a lean muscular aesthetic isn't there there's there's definitely Roots like those bland. yeah yeah so that you know the, every they, they've they still got those like little um uh abdominal sort of like muscles where like the, uh, the in the v-shape like i'm I'm pointing to my crotch basically and you can't really see it but <laughs> you, you, you know what i mean Those sort of like v-shaped sort of abdominals that kind of sits just above the the denim jeans and things like that and then um yeah, my I'm losing my train of thought because I'm trying to think of uh, shirtless men now <laughs> and different types of bodies. I, I'm, um, so I'm slightly I'm, distracted on that.
1: I, I'm a massive movie fan. I was actually thinking, like, when I say highlights, I don't know if the highlights the right word, um, but key moments of like key movies growing up where I guess physical bodies really stood out to me. And I was just thinking, as you saying that Brad Pitt, Fight Club, that was mm, a big, yes so Big that's what i mean noise. so if you
0: can if you can yeah so if you can imagine brad pitt that's what i'm talking about in terms of the abdominals <laughs> <laughs> that's no but that's a really good that's a really good mental image to bring up so if anybody listening think of brad pitt in the fight club poster and that's what i'm talking about in terms of like the muscular but slim aesthetic as well which is kind of aimed for um but, yeah, so going back to my original point, so I think, um, yes, the, definitely kind of like the 80s and 90s and particularly the sort of um, really sort of stoic, mm-hmm. like almost male grunting sort of archetype uh, action hero, I think has quite a lot of influence in terms of how men um, assimilated this idea of of what it means to to look like in order to be a man. Hmm.
1: Yeah, you mentioned the man box and I guess like the vulnerability hasn't really been glorified as an adaptable thing for men, this whole. And even I think we're coming around to it again now is we've seen the emergence of stoic quotes, ice baths and, you know, I mean, like they're, they're, I'm not poo-pooing that, by the way, because, you know, there are clearly health benefits to that. But I think it's when we look at self-care for men tends to be in productivity hacks Mm -hmm. or it seems to be seeking out more pain and discomfort rather than have a bubble bath instead of an ice bath. Like, you know, Uh, there's there's always a way of giving it a hardened chill or or making it harder or to make it appear more hardcore.
0: So, sorry, I'm laughing because that reminds me, what you've just said reminds me of a a stand-up clip that I watched yesterday where um, a guy's talking about soap And he's like, when the fuck did soap become gendered? Because it used to just be a bar of soap that you used to just wash your body with. And then all of a sudden marketing, some, you know, marketers somewhere figured that they could probably make twice the, twice the money selling the same thing, but to men and to women and women. It was like, honestly, it was really funny. It was like, we've we've captured the essence of eight waterfalls and this will make you feel like you're running through a meadow and all sorts of gendered bullshit towards women in that sense. And then, and then it was like, and then men's like um, shower bottles, they're like always black or gunmetal gray. And then they've always got like a ridge on the end. Cause it's like, you've got to hold it and it's got to feel like you're holding a gun and it's got to be like manly. And, you know, and he was like, who is this for? Like you're literally just in a shower. Like who's standing there judging you going, be more manly when you shower. Yeah. And it's, and I guess, you know, it, it comes back to what you were saying about how I think it's so interesting how, yeah, even in, even in, even with the invitation to men, to be more vulnerable and to kind of, you know, I guess be, become more, attuned to their emotions or sort of take up therapy or sort of, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's still a, there's still an interesting slant about making it more masculine.
2: One of the things that, um, particularly in my line of work, I mean, this is a, uh, a more kind of like neurobiological lens to hold on kind of disordered patterns of eating and, and just over, over, Exercise compulsion and and all of these kind of stuff is obviously just looking at a way to um, use things like exercise and food to unconsciously cope with discomfort that we experience in our nervous system, um, which obviously presents as as stress and 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 the like. And part of the 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 things, particularly around over desire to exercise and this kind of like bro culture, is that in many ways and that kind of vulnerability piece is like it's in many ways it's almost like the only way in which we as men kind of come back to our bodies where we come back and we actually are able to um somatically connect with what we're physically experiencing within our body and in a a way that kind of feels safe that are kind of a somatic the in through the kind of lens of um more somatic type of work and but then and like you say and even these kind of more stoic ways in which we're kind of promoting these days like ice ice baths and and things like that they are again a great way to kind of teaching our nervous system just to like to decompress and to to soften because you do not go through it like an ice bath by kind of tensing up and hardening up and putting on that outer shell. The only way to function within a a harsh environment like an ice bath is to embody some practices of surrender and and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it almost like links in with that kind of like football stadium analogy where it's almost like that's the only safe space that men have to go and really like... Allow their body to like just, just to be in their body and to express whatever they feel when their team team scores and and all of the rest of it, and and then similarly to to exercise and these other kind of more stoic practices is that okay if we're gonna then say oh, actually men what we need you to do is to to look at other means of potentially doing that then they're they're far more feminine they're they're like meditation and. Um, maybe some yoga or maybe some breath work or even just main, just general practices of mindfulness and and stuff like that. But that's not really cool at all. Um, And, but, it's all everything, particularly again through that kind of neurobiological lens, is just about sympathetic activation, sympathetic activation, and um mm. we do so little to kind of promote those that kind of rest rest process that yeah. blocks us from that that vulnerability piece as well that we were just talking about. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I guess it's not like like Dan was saying. I suppose it's not it's not. Uh, it's not to take away from the fact that those things are effective no. and those things are and have benefits and stuff like that. I guess you know my my um, my observation is that yeah, you're you're right. To the, you know the things that you've identified as potentially more feminine in terms of the kind of mental health therapeutic side of things tend to be not necessarily engaged with quite so much mm-hmm. with men, whereas men do ice baths or shadow work or, you know, something that sounds, and, and and I know this is maybe really pernickety and stuff. And again, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from doing it, because I think it's absolutely important. And I do think that this kind of stuff needs to be done. But it is, it's, and, and again, it's just very interesting how even society, well, you know, even when we're trying to encourage men to do things that have benefit for them again on a somatic level, on a psychological level. they're still got to kind of be just an ever so, just a little bit of a flavor of Uranus. Yeah. Explore the dark <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. explore
2: yeah. your dark side, bring it to the light, yeah. and all of that. Yeah. Of stuff.
0: yeah, yeah, it's still
1: slightly ego driven and productive based. It's a productive yeah. act, it's not, yeah, restful, it's not restorative, it's not it 's not a class that self care is
0: it's literally it 's not just going and and giving yourself permission yeah. to just you know have a, an hour meditative session where you can just lie there and just breathe and just allow your you know your 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 sort of um, sympathetic nervous system to just go into that rest and digest parasympathetic state and just it's got to be done in a way that's like i 'm going to go out and Fucking jump in a icy river. Yeah. That's yeah. how I'm going. That, that's and I'm how I'm going to activate. i have to try to
1: break through ice first. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Being yeah. An ice gonna... bath isn't That's enough. how I'm going to activate my yeah. parasympathetic nervous to system through it first. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly that. It's just, it's just, it's just really fascinating how, um, th- yeah, it, 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 it has to come out in a in a bit more of a a, a slightly harder edge, or there's got to be some kind of powering through. Mm. Yeah. In, in some way well, there's, there's some um, flex
1: there as well i find with every whether it's the the comparative nature of social media but it's if you read one book this week well actually i read two if you do 10 <laughs> minutes meditation a day well actually yeah. i just meditated for an hour but It's yeah. we're cost, constantly pushing the boundary about that and it becomes mm. more about less about mastery and more ego driven more mm. self masturbatory Masturbation,
0: is that the correct phrase? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is interesting. It's fascinating. Um, well, this has been a fascinating chat, um, and I feel like we're coming up to almost to the hour now. Um, so it's probably a good place to kind of wind up. Um, and just sort of say thank you very much to the both of you for your contributions um I've enjoyed this chat um i don't know about you but it's um hugely, always, always yeah. a pleasure, always fun to always fun to chat to you too um i don't know if you wanted to talking about self masturbatory gratitude <laughs> and all that kind of stuff dan i don't know if either of you have you know things that you want to kind of let people know that you're I guess doing or anything you want to promote or anything like that, or just generally where people can find you. Um, we'll start with you, Dan.
1: V. Uh, Dan Osman, the most forgettable and regrettable <laughs> Instagram handle ever. I have my own podcast, which both of you have joined me on. I'm deeply honoured to uh-huh, be yeah. on the Ramblings of a Madman. If anyone wants to check that out, I, I co-host another one called Fitness Unfiltered. And yeah, generally welcome any questions any how are you going or mm. i have nothing to promote really <laughs> just well, um, i, I guess these chats
0: I, okay well i guess sort of you know in the interest of um you know kind of celebrating people who i guess kind of for me have a a, a more authentic and i think helpful um presence on social media i think the thing i really like about your um social media presence is that you kind of cut through like I think you have this really good awareness of the bullshit that exists mm-hmm. on social media in terms of like this you know self obsessed patting oneself on the back kind of um way that kind of people again like i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to um criticize people but i guess a lot of social media is about self-promotion but then sort of people almost take it to like an nth degree sometimes where they will kind of leverage people's um sort of insecurities and all that kind of stuff and the thing that i really appreciate about your page is that you kind of cut through that and you're just like you know people will sell you this bullshit and actually this is really unhelpful and you know these are the ways in which to kind of spot it and actually if you just want some help this is kind of what you need and so i guess for that reason alone i would highly suggest that people could sort of go and follow you and and seek you out
1: thank you i just i just want to encourage like a a healthy level of of skepticism for everyone i think it's it's not necessarily i think uh, to misquote a phrase and i can't remember who said it is the, the true education is in encouraging people to think not telling them what to think and that's you know i think we're on this exploratory journey together in that i feel like coaching for me over the years has become less about providing people the answers and just asking the right questions so i'm always open to working with people but at the same time i'm not going to use my knowledge of their psychology and their pain to leverage Mm -hmm. or coerce them into engaging in something they don't necessarily recognize they need it right now because i know there are many other people out there that will you know essentially people sell people quick fixes and specifically do with body image i've lost count of the amount of people i know that have improved or changed the shape of their bodies only to not improve or positively impact that body image at all even though their bodies have significantly changed and you know there's a good reason why people revert back to their their usual habitual behaviors because it's, it's not really that that's addressed when they work with people they're looking towards Adherence and compliance rather than coaching which is attuned with personal values and getting the best out of yourself through realising what you're capable of. Which again to that self-leadership point I mentioned at the very start, that's essentially how I work with people.
0: That hmm. oh, sounds great. Well, brilliant. Callum.
2: Yeah. Um very much welcome anyone to Callum Stronach on any social media platform and i always like i kind of again similar to dan resents like pl- plugging i have a book like go well, it's an audiobook you do yes audiobook and and so i should probably plug that a, a bit but that's all kind of that says it's almost a, a kind of a guide to um eight lessons that i kind of wish i knew before kind of engaging in uh a kind of a process of I I resent the word recovery as well from, from my own kind of eating disorder and disordered eating and how almost the ideas around dieting and, and other things that I engaged in just kind of perpetuated these problems. And actually when I took a step back and actually focused on some of these areas um, yeah, that's where uh, that's where I found kind of part of my success. So I would say for something like three quid or something like that, it's you can uh, you can go and get get that or listen to that if you prefer listening to to my to my voice. But it's 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 the same it's the same <laughs> sense of what similar what Dan's saying that kind of the client autonomy or the person autonomy is the most important thing. Like I think that no coach or or if there's a guy or woman or any person of any gender listening to this no coach should tell you how you should be in your body how you should exist and i like and that's something that i have, i engage in with people who have clinical eating disorders promoting that body autonomy when it's like yes there are people at all both ends of the scale in terms of like health metrics but it's it's so so important to to claim that and um, as we've kind of spoken about looking at, um, yeah, looking at the cost of things and what we want to protect through our own processes and the things that we want to protect is just our own sense of being and not being, not doing things because the fitness industry says that we should, or another coach says that we should, or, or anything like that. Cause that's just, that's part of the main problem. And so if people can just reclaim part of that, then, we you'll go a long long way to finding peace with exercise fitness body image food whatever it is
0: well that sounds good and i guess talking you know um, speaking of your voice and things like that again i've you know we've had a, an entire podcast mm. dedicated to your podcast yep. which you know i sing high praises of and you know we've talked about your your journey and the reason as to why you did the podcast and all that kind of stuff so if there's one other thing that i would suggest anybody does is to go listen to to count podcast and yours as well dan not to sort of you know <laughs> uh, not to not to leave yours out you've mentioned yours but um but yeah um, well, thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you very much for your time. There. Thank you very much for your thoughts and your insights. I appreciate it. Thank you too. Um, both
2: too. Yeah, thank you. Okay.
0: um And thank you very much to you for listening. And um, we'll uh, catch up another time. Cheers.